I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Hi, everyone. I am so excited for today's podcast guest, the amazing, incredible Jane Larkworthy. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy you're here. For those of you who don't know, I can't imagine that anyone anyone would not know, but Jane is an incredible writer. She is the former executive beauty director at W and for quite some time. Mm -hmm. She's a foodie. She's a stylish woman about town and so much more. So today we're going to talk about her journey and life and times and more. Very fun. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, I never thought I'd get into the beauty world. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do when I was in college. So, well, that's not true. I started, I wanted to be on Broadway. And so I was a music major in college thinking, I'm going to make it big. And of course, the whole little fish, big pond, big fish, little pond, um, the opposite, little fish, big pond, that was a rude awakening that that was not going to happen, which was fine. So I switched to English majoring like you did. I don't know if you wanted to be on Broadway. No, I never wanted to be on Broadway. (laughs) That sounds terrifying and unpleasant to me, but I really like going and sitting in the seats. Exactly. In retrospect, I think it probably would have been terrifying unless you're the, you know, point point zero 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 percent who make it. Anyway, um, I had a sister who worked at GQ, and when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do in college, she said... All of our temps at Condé Nast are from this one agency. Why don't you go to this agency? So I go to this agency, and I get all these random receptionist jobs and um, do that all summer. And then the my senior year of college, I went back to the agency, and they said, oh, we have a spot at Glamour Magazine Beauty Department for two weeks. And I'm like, sure. So I show up, and I walk into the beauty closet, and I'm overwhelmed because if you've walk, ever walked into a magazine editor's beauty closet, it is floor to ceiling, wall to wall. It's like Willy Wonka. And I really have never been a beauty addict, but there is something about seeing rows and rows and rows of fragrances and shampoos and makeup, and you can take it home and try it. You don't have to pay for it. Like, I, I just couldn't resist. So I went back to college, I graduated. I kept showing up at Glamour Magazine's door because this was in the days when you could walk right through a building and up into their offices. And I eventually got the job. And I never looked back. And good God, it's been more than 30 years. But I think being kind of cynical about the category and not like a total pushover has probably fared me well because... Like, I never swallow anything hook, line, and sinker. Like, yeah, I'm always like, really? You're very known for your authentic voice. And I think oh, that, you. you know, there, <clears throat> there, is, there is a genre of people who write about beauty where it almost feels like, you know, pay-per-click or, you know, right. very servile or... Press release Press release <laughs> And um, I think you're writing, everybody knows you're writing for being... Um, very much with a unique voice and very much your own. So maybe that's because of that perspective you brought. I, thank you. I think it's that, but I also think I have to credit Jane Magazine. Oh, really? Because, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm getting over a cold. When I, so I started Glamour, then I went to Mademoiselle, rest in peace. 
Uh, and when Jane Pratt was founding Jane Magazine, I got the beauty director job. And Jane Magazine was, I think Sassy was the same way, was all about first person. And she really um, pushed us to be who we were. So I think I probably started writing press releasey, and then she was like, no, Lark, it's not. And she called me Lark because she was also Jane. So now my friends from Jane call me Lark, which I love. And she, she just kept pushing me to be more my own voice. And I have to really credit her because... And then when I was at W, they gave me my page Jane's Addiction when Stefano Tonki joined. And it's, you know, it's what I'm most comfortable doing. And I think it resonates with readers, so it's win-win. And I think it's like there's, there's a, you know, a hard dose of self-deprecation involved, but not in a um, I'm such a loser kind of way, more like what the hell is this and how do I use it kind of way. And I think women feel that way all the time. Like, oh, it's probably different now because all the DIY videos that the youngins are doing. Yeah, right. <laughs> but when I started, you know, there was no social that way. So it was really just sort of like, let's figure this out together because makeup can be really intimidating and I think it still can be. Yeah, beauty can sometimes feel like this very austere world where it's hard to hard to get in. And, mm -hmm. it, you know, like, I don't think I'll ever be able to put contouring makeup on. I just, But do you, know, you want to, <laughs> I don't really do want to. Okay, I don't really, really want, want to. to. But okay. you're admitting that you couldn't <laughs> if you were challenged. <laughs> fine, fine. I withdraw the statement. Um, okay, let me rewind for a second because you listed a, um, a litany of some of the most famous and amazing publications that there are, especially if people are interested in... I, I know, for, for whatever reason, <laughs> we taped this podcast right when they're hunting at the dumpsters. It's hysterical. Like everywhere on the Upper East Side. So. You know, it keeps it real. Yeah, so... In case you thought the Upper East Side was all about Amory Roth townhouses, it's also about dumpsters. Thank God, thank God it doesn't smell, though. <laughs> um, so, you know, you listed all of these amazing magazines. How, how for people who are listening to this podcast who are interested in getting into the beauty space, how, how do you even get a job at one of these places? I went in totally through the back door totally through the back door. What's your 2018 suggestion for someone, let's say it's a recent college graduate or mid-20s person who's trying to break into this field and get their first job at a magazine? Well, my first question is, make sure the magazine's healthy. Okay. <laughs> because it's been a precarious year for magazines. I am not poo-pooing the industry, but facts are facts. So um, I would strongly suggest if you love magazines, good for you. I think they're never going to go away. There's nothing like sitting down with a, you know, a print version on your lap, on a plane, whatever. But also look into websites. Um, but a friend of mine gave this advice once, which I think is, is really interesting. If you are interested in pursuing a job and you follow the editor-in-chief, whether through social media or whatever, send them a snail mail letter. Because even though it's counterintuitive to the way we live today, he or she won't forget it. Don't have any spelling mistakes. Check your grammar or have your parents check your grammar. Um, especially when you say the phrase between you and me and you say you and I instead, which is wrong. Um, <laughs> oh my God, that makes me crazy. Yeah, that, that, is a, that is a big one. And that's such a frequently occurring one. I have writers who I know and respect say, 
my, you know, my brother and I at this, you know, tennis tour, and I'm like, it's me. It's my brother and me. Like, it's just, it just makes me crazy. Yeah. Anyway, I digress. Um, but yeah, I think snail mail is a very cool idea. Um, but I also think DMing is also great. Like, I marvel at how people find me in DMs. And sometimes I forget to look at them, and I think some people don't even know to look at them. Like, I'm sure there was a time when you didn't realize that people were trying to DM you. Yeah. And then someone alerts you to the fact, and then you have like 30 of them, and you're like, oh my God. And that's just a great way how people can find you. Um, as far as writing goes, I mean, I don't even know if editors still take things on spec. I would think they would. Um, but there's so many platforms that you can get your writing noticed and get it out there better, you know, more than you, that opportunity has never been as pervasive as it is right now. Yeah. Do you think that the digital space has really <clears throat> ended magazines? I mean, I know that people talk all the time about how print journalism is dead and that makes me a little bit sad because there's nothing like holding a physical mm -hmm. newspaper or magazine in mm -hmm. your hands, but at the same time, to be totally honest and ruthless about it, I'm always on my cell phone, and I'm, I'm living in an app-based world, and mm -hmm. so I feel a little torn. I'm, I'm dying to know what you think about this. In the short term, I think it's, it's I don't know, I, don't know if it, I would render them dead, but I would think flatline for a while. <laughs> on life support. On yeah. life support. We're not gonna pull the plug yet, but it's, a, it's hard to compete with that. Um, but then I see magazines like my friend Carrie's magazine, Cherry Bomb, which is a beautiful thing to hold. And, you know, all these other indie magazines that, of course, I am not cool enough to rattle off the names of them, but you know what they are, like Serial and Gentlewoman. Um, yeah. I don't think they're going to go away, but I think you need it to be 360. So if you can figure out budgetary ways, it's all about the advertising, that's the problem. So you need to figure out Publications need to figure out ways to, um, you know, supplement the print through other venues because it's all about the advertising. It's all about yeah, and it, advertising is getting so much more subversive and tricky and agreed. confusing. Where agreed. like I don't, I wonder how you feel about this, but from my standpoint, half the time I don't realize something that I'm looking at is an ad. On social, you mean? Uh, either, or in a, in a magazine? Uh, in, I was thinking about magazine and blog and digital media content, where you can be knee-deep in an article and not not really know and it's branded exactly content. what it's all about. Right. Exactly. What right. are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think it's trickery. And I feel like it's less authentic when I read it, when I know it's supported by a brand, but that's the old school editor me talking. I think reality is that we need to, I think we need to embrace branded content, but I think there has got to be a way for it to not be so, um, I don't know, sycophantic or, or, yeah, or, or just like, like spoon fed. Yeah. Like, Whatever you read that did trick you, points to them because they tricked you. And they were putting it out there in an artful way. They were, yeah, but exactly. It reminds me of like I think when I was a teenager, <clears throat> I read some article about how in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Matthew Broderick's drinking a Pepsi and like you know the astronomical sum of money that Pepsi oh, spent to put that. Yes. in. And I was like, really? I thought that was just. 
the taste oh my of God. our generation. No, I noticed <laughs> that. It's like you're you're just like a victim. And every time I every time I see any kind of branding on TV, I'm like, how much did that did GE pay? Yeah, to right. have their refrigerator in this TV show. Yeah, it's For kind one of a cynical. Second, and I know. Then, but it it must be working, right? There, someone's doing metrics on that. Yeah. It's so funny. I can't think of what it is right now. I'll email you if I can think of it. But you do see that on TV and social a lot lately. And there, there's a there's a cool way to do it, and there's a embarrassing way to do it. I think it it just it's just artful. I think is a perfect word for it. Yeah. Um, but the whole sponsor thing is fascinating. I get a little incredulous when I see certain influencers doing sponsored ads for hey everyone's got to make a buck and I understand that and everyone's every time that I do see an influencer you know or someone I know with the deal I think hey good for her she's making some money doing that mm -hmm. and if I could do it I would no one's been knocking on my door but maybe I got to get my numbers up but it, it, again, it just has to, it can't be done in a way that is boring and does not make you think about, oh, I'd like to know more about that product. Yeah. Well, there's something about authenticity too, which I think, you know, when someone's standing there like cheesing with their product next to their face, it's yeah. a little bit like, yeah. You and know, then, you've and had enough. And tomorrow, she's going to cheese with a different product next to her face. And that makes me want to throw my phone across the room. <laughs> okay. um, but I also think companies struggle. Companies are like pulling their hair out. Like, how do we speak to our consumer? That's also pervasive. Yeah. Like, How do you, as a writer, kind of respond to this new digitized wor world? Do you feel like it's creating new opportunities for you to be able to yes yes yes, yes 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 in small sound bites or or i mean on the other hand do you feel like you miss the freedom of a blank page of like a you know Hell a no. magazine type of thing? i mean yes if i get asked to do a print story that is something that uh, appeals to me and i will get paid for it sure but i it's interesting you say that because the amount of space on in digital is endless so sure we all have short shorter time um, attention spans so if I'm asked to write something that's like 200 words it's like oh god really but it, my different venues who I write for like when I write for Coverture I could go on and on and on and on and I don't even think they edit me like so I can really get into it get into it yeah yeah so tell us about what you're doing right now so you're writing for a bunch of different publications yes um, I always forget one or two. So I have a weekly column, and I don't mean that in any disrespectful way, but I'm always like, oh, God, I forgot about that one. Okay, so I have a weekly column with The Cut, which is called The Beauty of It All, and I essentially cover boldface names and beauty from CEOs of companies to makeup artists to doctors to you know, quasi-celebrities or celebrities, not really celebrities, but hopefully sometime, but people in the beauty world. And I throw probably about a 40 question Q&A to them, but they're all very playful questions. Like, you know, what are you doing to minimize your carbon footprint? To, 
what word are you known for saying the most? To, you know, so just like they're thank you, and I try to change them up all the time. Yeah. But I always have I always have beauty ones in there, and I always have I always ask, what product in your domain is misunderstood and should be a bestseller? And then I have one that is, what is your favorite product in your domain? Understanding that it could change. I ask them what they think beauty trends will be and, you know, a couple more beauty ones. But they're mostly like, what are your bed linens of choice? Like things that I want to know. Uh, one of my favorites is, what is your daily underwear? <laughs> because it took me forever to find underwear that I love. And now it's the Gap Boy Short. There you go. And a friend of mine also raved about it. And I'm like, yes, right, right? Everyone should wear the Gap Boy shorts. Um, now, is that paid content? That no, is paid. <laughs> Gap is paying me an undisclosed amount every time I mention it. Oh, my underwear is... Let me shift it for a second. Then. She was contractually <laughs> obligated to work in a live podcast. And I was like, how can I explain it? No, not one dime. Gap, thank you very much. Um, all right, so that's the cut. And then I And have also El Decor. El Decor. Um, Le Ficiel. Le In the Groove. Thank you. Coveture. And the Fraudulent Chef. Fraudulent Chef has been neglected sorely because I, no one pays me there. That's me. That is my food blog, which I started a couple years ago because so many of my close friends are either restaurant owners or food writers. And that will intimidate the heck out of you if you're pretty basic in the kitchen and I just we coinciding with that a couple like five six years ago now we got a second home up in the Berkshires and it has this huge kitchen and we have you know like a galley kitchen in New York and so my husband and I in order to kind of meet more people in our neighborhood because we were new and socialize we just started having we started like working on our cooking skills and then we started having dinner parties and they've kind of expanded into like 30 people on our porch and it's so lovely like I'm having about 14 people this weekend and we just have this wonderful l-shaped porch and people come over and everyone hangs out in the kitchen and so I started writing about the life up there and that my food successes and my food failures, but I also will talk about guest list <laughs> and <clears throat> how it's hard to remember, like who did we last invite and who's had the quinoa Peruvian dish and who drank too much and was a jerk and maybe we don't want to have <laughs> them again, but they're inviting us to their house. And so the kind of... Um, the drama the, of the dinner party yeah. set in the Berkshires. I was once confronted by someone who let me know that she was hurt that I didn't stop inviting her to our dinner parties. Uh-huh. And I really respected it. And there was an underlying reason, but I hadn't really addressed it. And I, not that I talked to her about it, but it was like, oh, life is short, Jane. Like, let it go. And now she's a really good friend of mine. So. I love that. So we were talking earlier offline before the podcast about the different things that you're interested in and you were talking about how food is in a way a passion equivalent to or in sometimes more than beauty for you yeah is that accurate or I think ha- it is accurate yeah, yeah. Um, but you still get you, you keep getting pulled into the world of beauty I think you've become such a name for yourself 
um, in the beauty sphere. Every that, time I get out, they pull me back in. That, yeah, you can't get out. <laughs> you can't escape the orbit. The it's beauty, like, the beauty ghetto, as someone I know once <laughs> called it. Um, oh, but I, yeah, I mean, beauty might not be my biggest passion, but it is something that I know and I love the people in, in the industry. I've known them for such a long time and I love how so many people I know are reinventing themselves, whether it's because they are deciding to build a brand or they were in print and now they are consulting. That's another thing I'm doing and working on branding for brands. And so it's, beauty has become you said this earlier, and I'm not sure I 100% agree. It's an intimidating category, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's there's something very egalitarian about it these days because you know every day a new line is coming out, and and, and the little girls are doing DIY videos even if they don't know mm-hmm. what they're doing, and it's just like you can be a self-proclaimed expert one way or another, and even if you aren't skilled as a makeup artist, if you have an authentic voice then you will get a really big following on social or you could, you know, start getting paid for writing about it. So Yeah. And I think that it's it's kind of an era where um, for a relatively affordable price point, almost anyone can enter that world. Even if you're not making the DIY videos, you can go to your local drugstore and do the stuff that you're seeing in the right. videos and and do a beauty hall. Yeah. <laughs> except contouring. Yeah. Right? That's hard. That's advanced. But um, but everything else you could definitely do. Yeah. And um, and in a way, although beauty can be intimidating, I think you're right that it's it's something that's part of the human condition that people gravitate toward the way they present themselves. Yep. Um, so I, I think that's cool. And speaking of the human condition, like we are constantly searching for that treatment or skincare product that will make us look better. And the cynic could say there's so much snake oil out there. But the optimist will say, I'll just try this one more thing. And I love nothing more than finding a product that like, oh, my redness has gone down. Oh, that dark spot isn't quite so dark anymore. And like, I, I was just thinking earlier, I've, gone to, I've had so many facials where maybe f- facialists probably do this to every client, but have you ever gone to a facial and they're, they work on one side of your face, and then before they go to the other side, they hold up a mirror to your face, and they're like, see? And, like, how many times have I lied and been like, oh, like, I don't want to say, no, I don't, because I think that's kind of bitchy. But, like, I'll always be like, oh, uh-huh. But just because I, maybe because I'm an editor and they're doing it, you know, hopefully I'll do a story about them or something, but there's just that that optimism of, whether you're you're noticing that your face is you know lifted temporarily or not, but just feeling better about it. Yeah. Like a friend of mine said, what did she say? Oh, something like, oh god, now I can't remember. Something to the point of, no one felt great when they looked shitty. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that is kind of true. Not that we have to go around and like present ourselves prettier to the rest of the world, but I just had a blowout. And I feel better about myself. Yeah. Call me superficial. Like, <laughs> so Go scary. for it. Make it my mental name. I don't care. I walk with a little more skip on my step. So, you know, one reason I was really looking forward to this podcast is because you are someone who has access to basically everything in beauty. Yeah. You know, all different kinds of 
people, products, materials, new concepts and things like that. And so I'm dying to know from, you know, I have my own perspective, but my world is very niche and focused on a certain thin slice of beauty. But you are seeing the whole broad spectrum. And so I wanted to ask you some questions about stuff that you like and don't like. Okay. So I am very Are we going to have to mention brands? Uh, you don't have to mention any okay. brands, but like what are kind of your five beauty essentials and you can just talk about categories of things um if you don't want to you know I'm sunscreen not sunscreen <laughs> sunscreen that's the first three okay what are number four and five <laughs> spf just kidding um i cannot live without my Burt's Bees lip balm yeah i probably have 200 of them spread out in my various bags and drawers and pockets and worlds and if i leave the apartment without one and I get to the subway I'm like <gasps> can I go back <laughs> um, so there's that so so far I'm, I'm I know this is scintillating um, as far as brands I can kind of get into it a little if you or just want. like something unexpected that so, oh. some, something that <clears throat> some, what's something unexpected that you have discovered in your trials in the world of beauty oh gosh think about that because I keep hearing about Go all ahead. of these new you know there's there's a new um, product and practice um, of the moment like basically every moment which one um, what are you from, hearing about these days oh I mean everything from the concept of the silk pillowcase to the you know to a foam roller for fascia blasting or um, oh my know, god I love uh, that one Gigi crackers for fiber or um, you know a certain brand of electrolyte beverage or you know oh, all, all types of things thank you for bringing that up yeah CBD all the way baby oh yeah I do you know Dirty Lemon um, I saw Dirty Lemon on your Insta story but I don't know what it is I don't really either all I know I saw it on the Insta story of Katie Becker who is at Coveter she used to work for me at W and they have a rose one, like rose water in it. It's basically a beverage. Okay. And there's a matcha one, a rose one, a collagen one that I'm holding right now. How chic is that bottle, How by the cute. way? Right? Yeah. And um, there is a sleep one, and there's also a charcoal one, sorry. Okay. And then there's a CBD one. So I have dipped my lips mostly into CBD like a friend of mine from W makes Veritly lip balm that has I think it has CBD in it, it might have the other one is that THC yeah and THC it might have THC sorry Claudia and just to rewind we're talking about components oh. of cannabis so yeah CBD is how would you explain it it's a byproduct of cannabis that is not psychoactive thank you my words exactly. <laughs> Let's Took say the words that. right out of your mouth. <laughs> but here's where I'm embarrassed. I feel like we should look this up. Which one is the calming one, and which one is the kind of THC is the one that's you know that that makes you have a high feeling okay. when you're Good. smoking marijuana, and CBD, and CBD relaxes is the you. one that is um, supposed to be calming. I mean, I haven't tried which is this. in Lord Jones products. Okay. So Lord Jones, have you heard of Lord Jones? Yeah. Very cool line. Um, very high-low in that they named it Lord Jones because like Lord is very elevated but Jones is like keeping up with the Joneses mm -hmm. that's why they came up with the name which I love so they have some topical products but then they also have 
tinctures and they have um, sort of gumdrops, like look like jellies kind of. But but um, Dirty Lemon has a CBD drink, and I slept so well. I I it has been decades since I slept as well as I did the first night that my husband and I shared a bottle. I didn't even drink a whole bottle because one serving is a bottle. I woke up in the middle of the night to pee, TMI. And I remember walking to the bathroom like, what has happened to me? Like, but in a good way, like I'm so out of it. And Bertrand and I woke up at the same time the next morning and I'm like, oh my God, the dreams I had. He's like, oh my God, what the dreams I had. And I think we're, pardon, you know, I shouldn't say addicted when it comes to cannabis, but, and I've never been a pot smoker. Like I, the, the five times I did it in college, I got like crazy depressed and felt like the world was gonna end. It's just never been the drug for me. Not that anything is a drug for me, but I'm crazy about this trend. That's so interesting, and it's it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out in New York State now. Agreed. Now that, um, laws are changing and yeah. social practices are changing and things like that. In a way, it's the Wild West, and also like a friend of mine is developing a CBD-based skincare line. Um, like air, they just pop up everywhere. It's it's a fascinating, very fascinating category to watch. Yeah. Okay, so that was like our, my little foray into, I'm just wondering what's on your mind in the beauty world. But I want to talk to you a little bit about, more about um, writing because I think that so many of us struggle with um, how, to, how to really write well. I love yeah. how you're like, you're struggling with the words as you're talking about <laughs> struggling with the words. You psych yourself up. It's very thing. meta right now. <laughs> I just want to enact the experience for everyone who's listening to this to make it really full circle. But um, do you have some tips on uh, people who are not necessarily experienced writers on how to clearly communicate their thoughts? Like, I love that question. I've never done this, but I think it could be an interesting experiment to dictate into your phone. Tell a story and dictate it into your phone, and then transcribe it and see how it sounds. You have to figure out a way to do it where you're not self-conscious about it. Um, but we all tell stories better than we write, often, anyway. Um, Although we all know those people who tell stories that aren't that great. That is true. So you could be a horrible writer <laughs> once you dictate and you're like, um, um, like, like, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think you just have to, like, you have to you have to try writing as freely as you possibly can without trying to impress yourself or anyone else. But I, I don't know if that's a really good. Do you tip. when you're writing a long yes. form piece? Yep. Do you start with an outline? That's a really good question. I should, but I often don't. Then do again, you, do you know where the piece is going? No. Although if it's like a profile on someone. Um, and she or he says something hysterical, I'm like, yes, I got my kicker. Okay, thank you. The interview's done. That was a great line. And you can also, you know, in turn tell when someone is a pro at being interviewed because they just feed you great stuff and you just pray to God that you haven't read it somewhere else. Like, that's the worst. I forget. When they give you a really great anecdote, but it's, and like it's the one that was quoted in the last month's Effing, <laughs> or as Jill Cargaman would say, fucking everywhere. And it makes, yeah, like, who was it who I did? I'm just still on my little cold enough that I can't remember, so she's lucky. But it was someone I interviewed who gave me so many great sound bites, and then I Googled them, and it was like, bing, 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 like everywhere. And it was like, 
I finally had to write to her publicist thinking like, can she please Come give on, me another answer to this? Because my bad for not doing my homework on her beforehand, because I just didn't have time, I suppose. But like, it was so formulaic. So when you're, I'm, I'm sort of answering your question, sort of not like, it would behoove you if you are writing about someone to really kind of have your questions ready beforehand, like I see you do right now, and have interesting ones that you've never seen anywhere else. And and putting someone on the spot in this day and age like is no problem. Like when I interview someone for the cut and I, you know, they can't come up with an answer, I'm like, I'll email it to you. Like, you shouldn't be put on the spot. Yeah. But, um, but for me, yeah, I kind of like, it helps when I transcribe the interview. That will kind of help me determine like the direction it's going to take a lot, frankly. Um, but like if I'm writing just a think piece for Coveter, that will take me weeks sometimes because I, I'll think, oh my God, that is far too self-indulgent or this is making no sense. Like when I, for Coveter, since it is like me just opining about something, so many times before I filed a story, I think, do I sound like the biggest weirdo or just like the biggest asshole for like writing about the stigma of crying in public? Or I wrote this one thing called Angry Shy mm-hmm. about people who are such snobs and, and then you're told that they're shy. And my friend said, oh, she's not, you know, she's, she's not a snob, she's just angry shy. She's angry that she's shy. Give me a break. And I finally filed that and like, the feedback that I got was <laughs> wonderful. So you just, I just trust my gut at this point. Yeah, well, like, that's amazing. Um, okay, so now I want to talk to you about um, something that a lot of people have been wondering, which is what was your experience leaving W? You made a huge footprint at that amazing publication, and you have done such incredible work there. Um, tell us a little bit more about your exit. The hardest part of the transition for me was that I didn't have an office to go to for the interpersonal communications. Like, one of the things, like, I worked in an office from, you know, a week after I graduated from college. Work, to me, was like school. Like, it was legal. Like, it was illegal not to have a job. Mm -hmm. And I had never freelanced. And it was, you know just something I was so used to doing and I loved getting into the office and having my friend Alex come and hang out and how was your day, how was your night, and you know, socializing with other people throughout the day. Um, and I suddenly didn't have that anymore. And I applied to the wing because a number of my friends were members and I got waitlisted. And I was very <laughs> harumph about that. Mm-hmm. And so I joined like a WeWorks type of space and I thought, oh great, I have a place to go to with my laptop and there's a coffee machine and it's got reclaimed wood on yeah. the walls and it's very cool. But I was still alone. I didn't know any of these people. Yeah. And I remember Valentine's Day of all days, my husband coming home and I just burst into tears. Because oh. I was lonely, I was really lonely. And then, and I had jobs, like I had freelance projects that I was doing and which would entail me going to people's offices to, I was helping out Chanel on their social media site that they were just starting, their platform rather. And so I had places to go, but it was not an everyday thing. And so as soon as I got into the wing, um, <clears throat> that kind of changed things because you go there and you see your friends. But the 
it's a psychological thing because now that I do belong there and I have belonged for like a year and a half, I love nothing more than going home and just hanging out with my dog and writing on my bed. And so just knowing that I have a place to go to. It frees you to do the other thing that you yeah. want to do. <laughs> and there are days when I am in my sweats and t-shirt all day and spending far too much time capturing my dog dreaming on the bed with her paws going crazy and her whimpering when I should be meeting a deadline, but I do. Um, and it'll get to be like four o'clock and I'm thinking, I really should get outside. <laughs> but I've been on conference calls and I've, you know, it's just like, I don't know if I ever want to go full-time again. Yeah. And I love that I can run around everywhere. I've been running around all day. You're like the busiest person ever. I feel like you're at every event and covering every story. It's, yeah, and I love it. I love saying yes to new things, too. I love being asked to moderate panels. I love being on panels. I am going to be in a certain fashion brand's ad campaign campaign that I can't probably say yet. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's fun. You just, it's, it's really about reinventing yourself. I think it's reinventing yourself and having an authentic voice. What advice do you have for people who are dealt with a situation like that where all of a sudden something they thought was a sure thing, <laughs> given and yeah. totally taken for granted, yeah. is all of a sudden not there anymore? There are so many different ways to, to handle it. You can be like, Laura Mecklin, who wrote a piece about wearing clogs. She was at Vogue, and then she got laid off, and she wrote a freaking piece about writing clogs for The New Yorker. And I was like, damn, that was my story. I never would have thought about pitching New Yorker. So I think, yes, this happens to you. You're going to be fine. I, I reach out to a lot of people when they get laid off, and I'm like, I don't do the whole, like, congratulations. Like, when I got those emails, it was like, fuck you. Yeah. All right? I don't want to talk to you. Don't give me the congratulations. But in a way, it is, because it's liberating. And so if I know someone well enough, and I will say, you're going to be fine if you want to meet for coffee, I can give you whatever advice I have, which I hope is helpful. But um, I think a lot of it is kind of outside-the-box thinking. And... I have been fortunate enough that people have reached out to me to do things, but I'm certainly not above, you know, it's it, it's never been easier to find the contact for a publication or a website and just reach out and say, you know, I have this idea, whether it's an idea for a column, whether it's an idea for a story, and um, kind of say yes to everything. I haven't loved everything I've done since I left W. Um, I was copywriting for a high-end fashion brand and Bottega Veneta. And, you know, you can't get chicer than that. But I really, I just met with a former CMO. I really missed having my own voice. Mm -hmm. I missed my byline. And, you know, that can be a humbling experience because a number of friends of mine who have had bylines have gone on and been copywriters at many different brands. And I think that is a great muscle to flex, but you have to be prepared to put your voice on hold. From my standpoint, I don't know, and I know that your experience is different because you're living it, but um, I have interpreted you post W as more your own brand. And when you were at W, you were more part of a larger brand and you were more part of the W brand. And so, you know, it's, it's almost a trite truism to say that that um, 
you know, every door closed is another door right. open or whatever. But cliches are overused, I think, because they gesture toward the truth. And I think that... You're um, so articulate. Oh, uh, It's very true. <laughs> but I think that, you know, many of the podcast guests that I've, had, that I've had on this show, basically everybody has told one story or another about a time in their life where they thought, like, this is the pits. I never thought this kind of thing would happen to me. It's, you know, the, the depth of the depth. And um, and then it always becomes something else, and I think that that is very cool. I think I stayed at W so long because I was afraid of failure, and I, you know, so I got into Condé Nast as a in the back through the back door as a temp, but I the whole time, and this is why I call fraudulent chef fraudulent chef. I there's always been a part of me who's felt like a fraud, like I came from pretty humble beginnings. Um, I, I, I would, you know, work among these people who obviously came from a silver spoon background and I would think I'm going to get found out. I'm going to get found out. Someone's going to... Like the imposter syndrome. The, the dreaded total imposter, imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Yeah. And I, I said it to one of my best friends and she's like, I said, we're all frauds. She's like, I don't think I'm a fraud. And I'm like, ah, fuck you. Um, <laughs> but... I think being a beauty editor for so long, which is a very sweet gig, you know, back to all the products and everything you get, um, I didn't know if I could do anything else. And I think so long as they would have me, and so long as I kept my publisher happy, and the advertisers liked me, and my page was authentic and had most actions taken, apparently, than any other page in W, I thought I would fail at doing anything else. I really did. And I think, I have no idea if that is common among people who have been at the same job for a very long time. I'm guessing it is. I just, you know, there was an element of, I guess, I suppose complacency when I would see other friends go off and do new ventures. But it was very comfortable and I am so grateful that it happened to me. They would have carted me out on my deathbed. And it happening brought about so many new opportunities that I'm having a ball saying yes to and trying things on for size and not really like that fear element is gone which is such an amazing liberation actually yeah now that you bring it up I hadn't really thought about it but I, I do all the time say I'm so much happier like I just a lightness about me well and also now you're your own brand I mean I, I, I to some extent we all are always our own right, friends, right. but I mean now you're you're kind of your own um, entity. Yeah, which I think is very cool. If only I could figure out a way to monetize it more. <laughs> I know. Well, that's kind of my last question for you, and you know I feel like I could talk to you all day, yeah. but um, you know then it would be nice. Um, so I wanted to ask you to tell us a little bit about what your plans are like what what kind of what are your hopes and visions in terms of your career and professional focus for the next several years I, I as you know this already I not that it's a money-making opportunity but I do really want to do a podcast I, and I I'm, uh, podcasts are the new blogs I mean I know, I know. podcasts are the best yep 
Um, and you would be so good because I, you ask great questions and you're fun and easy to talk to. Thank you. I appreciate that. And it's just the kind of like, I keep making excuses. It's like not going to the doctors or something. Like, oh, uh, next week, oh, uh, next week. But every time I talk to you, you You've give me some, but you also just make Soon it I'm easier and easier you for this me. This microphone is going to land at your doorstep. Yep, yep, exactly. Or you'll be my first guest. <laughs> I would be honored. That would be awesome. That would be like the ideal symbiosis right there. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do I want to do? I okay. This I wanted to bring this up earlier, and I forgot about it. So I'm so glad it's kind of out of left field. But I have always wanted to write a book but I am a lazy shit. So I always think of ideas for subjects, topics for it, like when I'm in the car with my husband and we're listening to a podcast, it's like tonight, when I, we get home, I'm gonna write chapter one. And then of course, like I put you know MSNBC on and have some popcorn and then I fall asleep and I don't do it. Um, but of all reasons, I'm reading, I just finished reading Crazy Rich Asians. Mm-hmm. Have you read the books? No, I haven't. I'm reading the second one and in a way sort of hating myself because I devoured the first one, but let's just say, (laughs) oh, people are going to get mad at me. I didn't think it was the most amazing writing in the world. That's all I'm saying. But I think that Kevin Kwan's leap from Crazy Rich Asians to his second book, which is, I think it's Crazy Rich Girlfriend. I should look it up. Um... The writing has gotten significantly better, but it's just made me think, it's one of those things where I think, I could do this. Mm-hmm. Like, every once in a while, he, he'll use a word like internecine, and I'm like, oh, that's a good word, I need to <laughs> incorporate that into my interviews more. But but it's, and I, I get this way also with my favorite writers, so I really don't mean it as an insult. Like, Maria Sample is my favorite writer, and if I could write as funnily and crazy as she does, I would be happy the rest of my life. But I would like to write a book. That being said, everyone writes books. And it's just, it's not a sure thing. And, but I just have a lot to say. So I'd like to do that, and I would also like to write a TV show. And it's something oh, I've would be kind really of... Good. I, I dabbled with it with one friend, another girlfriend and I started writing one, and then our lives got in the way, and... Again, I know that is like, you know, infinitesimally small to do something like that, but I would love to be, like Jill Karkman, I would love to be in a writer's room. Yeah. I think my tail would wag so You guys would be so awesome in a writer's room together. If I was in a writer's room. Oh, she intimidates the hell out of me. <laughs> but I feel like those are the best people because they inspire you to be in your A-game. Yes. Well said. Exactly. That is true. It's like your favorite teacher. Like... Like, you have to go impress you know, them. You yeah. have to go be there yeah. for them. Yeah, um, So that's great. So I can't wait to hear it. I am so excited for your podcast, book, TV show, <laughs> articles. Skincare line. Oh, yeah. 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 I, it's, it, stay tuned. I mean, I'm, I have a couple thoughts about that, too. So that's in very nascent stages, but I... Okay, friend well, then we'll have episode two of the podcast Perfect, perfect. I'll bring, I'll bring her, too. I think you'll like her. So, Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thanks and for having really me. Great. And I can't wait to hear about all the new exciting things you have going on.